Well, good morning, everybody. Y'all, some of y'all are awake. Some of the caffeine has hit the bloodstream. For those I do not know, my name is Nick Person. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision, and I'm always, always honored to be able to open up God's Word with you and for us to navigate together. And also, good morning to those online and those at Buchanan. If you have been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we have been on this journey through the Ten Commandments. And if you haven't been with us, welcome to the journey as we walk walk through the Ten Commandments. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have one of my buddies from the back come out with a microphone, and we're going to quiz you right now in front of every... I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. Some of y'all got nervous. Like, not today, devil. Not today. Um, But we are going to review because it will set us up to where we have been, but also let us know where we're going. And I'm going to use some hand motions that um, Jen Wilkin uses in her Bible study to help us remember, and they're excellent. So this time I'll give her credit. Next time I use them, they'll be mine. And y'all be like, man, he's so brilliant. So here we go. Number one, no other gods before me. The hand motion is simple as this. There is no other God. No other God compares. And so there's only one true God. Number two, you shall not create any graven image, no idols. You don't need to make with your hand something that represents poorly whom God is and the one true God. So no graven images, no idols. Number three, honor God with your words. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. This looks like a W, everybody. How brilliant is that? So remember to put some respect on the name of God and to honor him with your words. Number four, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It looks like a baby napping right here. Look at that baby napping. Some of you parents are like, I hope that happens this afternoon. Yes. Some of y'all are like, I don't see it. It's fine. Just trust me. So remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Honor your elders. And it's like you're taking an oath. I will honor my father and my mother. And someone at Buchanan last week said, it's also like you can smack your child if they don't. Well, poof, right? And so... There we go. However you need to remember, remember it well. Number six, you shall not murder. And we talked about that it's not just with our hands, but that's also in our heart. Think of a pistol fired at people. Ah, don't do it, y'all. Don't do it. And then number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Think of a husband and a wife on the marriage altar going, we promise that we will treat each other with love and respect because we reflect the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we talk about that, that we should not commit adultery, we're going to honor marriage, it goes deeper as we have seen with all of the commandments. It's not just about not committing adultery. It's about much, much more. What we're going to learn and what we're going to navigate today is we're going to get to this kind of root line, this bottom foundational line is we as a people of God reflecting him are going to say, I object to making people objects. Let me say that again. I object from making people objects. People are image bearers. They are not made for our consumption. And when we get down to this root of behind this sin of adultery, we see lust. And so what we're going to say is we are not going to treat people like they are there just for our pleasure and for our consumption. Not in our marriage relationships. My wife is not meant for my consumption. We are meant to mutually encourage one another, mutually sharpen one another, so that we can best reflect Jesus. 
And so I am not called to bring up all the things she is not doing and get mad with her because she's not measuring up to what I want. And then I get to a point where I go, you know what? I'll go find it elsewhere. That is not what the Lord is calling me to. He's also not calling us to treat others as people that are consumable through the watching of pornography or the lust that lies in our heart where we look at someone and gaze too long at someone thinking about how they can be used for our consumption. We are saying today that we will object to making people objects. And listen, for this journey for me this week, it has been a very convicting one. Because I think about all the times where I have made either my wife or another image bearer, I have made them consumable. I have not treated them as image bearers that reflect the king. And so this week has been one where the Lord has really been speaking to me and the Holy Spirit has been doing some work. And here's my prayer for us today. My prayer for us today is that we will put our walls of defenses down, that we will not come up with a defense that will allow us to continue to walk in a way that's not honoring to the king. But today we will say, Lord, I am willing to hear. And if it's from you, I will let it take root and produce some fruit that will lead to life to the full. And so we're not going to be defensive. Our walls are going to be down. Our hearts are going to be open. And our minds are going to be open. And we today are not just going to be hearers of the word, I pray that we will listen to what God has to say and we will walk this out and go and do likewise. I pray that the Lord will move in this space and in this place. So as we prepare our hearts, as we prepare our feet, let's pray. I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Lord, my prayer that over the next few moments that we have together, that you will speak to our hearts that we will see that not committing adultery is the tip of the iceberg, but it goes much deeper than that. May we be a people that say we object to making people objects. May we say we're not going to do it. May we repent and turn from the ways that we have done it. And Jesus, I just pray that you will move. I pray that you will make us more like yourself. I pray in these next few moments, Lord, that they will be life-changing and that what happens in this place will impact the world around us and send rippling effects into this world for positive change. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. If you have your Bibles or your phones, if you're watching online, you can go ahead and click on your computer. We're going to start in Exodus 2014. We're going to bounce around a lot. There's a lot of different places we're going to go, and feel free to keep up, but they're also going to be on the screens. If you have the Bible app, it'll be right there in the app, um, but feel free to join and keep walking on this journey as we flip through some scripture. But Exodus 2014, our starting point, you shall not commit adultery. Why is marriage such a big deal? Well, one of the reasons why marriage is such a big deal is because it's God's idea. God came up with the idea of marriage, and because God came up with it, he gets to define what it is and what it's intended for and how to walk it out because it's his idea. And marriage was intended to reflect his relationship with us. So if you are married, your marriage relationship should reflect the the relationship between us and the king as we walk together, fixing our eyes on him. In Genesis 1:27, we see how this marriage covenant was started. It says this. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Marriage reflects the covenant that the king has with his people. Marriage represents the covenant that the king has with his people. And you might be going, Nick, I didn't really get that vibe from Genesis. He was talking about fish and stewarding them. I don't see that. Well, I'm glad you asked. The best way to interpret the Bible is to go to the Bible to interpret it. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 says this. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church's body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church. Think about this for a second. This marriage relationship, think back, if you are married, think back to that day where it cost a lot of money. Y'all remember that day where you're like, wait, this day that's going to last me three hours costs how much money? Remember that? Praise God for it. But you, you were there, ladies, you were there in your dress, and you looked good and beautiful, and the guy, he showed up, and he had his tux on, and he was doing his best to keep up. And you walked down the aisle, ladies, towards this man that was promising to be selfless and to love you in such a way that is reflective of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you walked down the aisle, and he was standing there, and if you were anything like me, you cried a lot. And your wife comes to you and she looks at you and is like, man, this is a hot mess right here. Like, yeah, girl, forever. And so here we are. <laughs> and you vowed that you were going to love each other, that you were going to support each other and encourage each other no matter what. And here's the deal. You weren't basing the covenant that you were saying off of that person. Because here's might be a shocker to y'all. The person that you chose to marry or the person you're dating or the person you have just started to text, they are not perfect. <gasps> and listen, when you're dating, you know you're presenting the best. You're like, girl, look, I'll always open your door. Girl, I'll always pay for the meal. There are some days, y'all, woo. Girl, get your own door. But anyways... <laughs> But you weren't vowing based on that person's performance. Listen, you weren't vowing based on that person's performance. You were vowing based on the example Christ had set for his bride, the church. And so there wasn't these statements of, well, if you, if you, you know, if you stop doing all the things I want you to do, then I'm going to stop loving you and encouraging you and treating you as an image bearer of the king. No. 
You didn't say, hey, one day if you start to eat more donuts than you should and you don't look the same that you did and you can't fit into your wedding dress, then I'm not going to love you the same. I'm not going to look outside of our covenant relationship to get what I feel I am lacking. No, why? Because it's based on God's relationship with us. The reason we love each other well is because the king has loved us well. The reason why we are selfless is because the king was selfless. Our spouse is not meant for consumption. Our spouse is not just made to make us happy. The Lord uses that relationship to make you more holy and to sharpen you and to make you more like himself, but it has never been about consumption. It's about holiness. It's about reflecting the king. And not only is that relationship not meant for consumption, all of our other relationships are not meant for consumption either. And when we start viewing people as less than image bearers and people that are objects and meant for consumption, we are stepping down the line with what God has called us to do. We have been invited to be people who honor, not people who consume. Let me say that again. We have been invited to be a people that honor, not a people who are meant to consume. And we'll see with Jesus, Jesus always illuminates text. He always illuminates scripture even more. And he's going to reveal that the root issue of adultery is lust, of longing for something else, of looking to be satisfied and making things objects and not seeing them as image bearers. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to speak to this root sin. He says this. You have heard that it was said. Let's pause right here. Whenever you see Jesus say something like this, you have heard that it has been said, Jesus is quoting himself. You might go, what do you mean, Nick? Because he is the one. He was the word. In the beginning, he was there. He was there for all creation. So basically, this is what Jesus has said. You have heard me say before, and I'm about to say it again. Because he has always been, and he will always be. So he's quoting himself. You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. As I was reading this, I didn't like verse 28, y'all. You're like, okay, don't commit adultery. And then he goes, but I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The dictionary defines lust as this, having a very strong sexual desire for someone. It's making them an object and not something that is honorable. It's holding them in contempt. It's saying that they no longer have the value that they were given, but now they only have value for your pleasure and what you are seeking. Jim Wilkins says it this way. Lust itself is an act of contempt. Reducing someone to a source of sexual gratification and nothing more. If the sixth command prohibited regarding our neighbor as expendable, the seventh prohibits regarding our neighbor as consumable. What does this root sin look like? How do we see this in our lives? How do we see this at play in the world? Well, like this. The longer I look, the more of an object you become. Let me say it again. The longer I look, the more of an object you become. Everybody, it is okay to notice that God has made some beautiful creations. Amen? Can we nod? 
It's okay to notice that. It's okay. My wife is beautiful in my eyes. And one day, I hope that I can look like Denzel Washington when I get older, y'all. That's one good-looking chocolate man. That's my goal, okay? Like, I can appreciate that. I can go, God, well done. But the problem becomes when I fix my eyes on them and I go, what could they do for me? How can I consume them? It shifts from noticing that they are a beautiful creation of the king to how can you do something for me? Now, here's the other thing. We are prone to walk towards what our eyes are fixed upon. What do I mean by that? The longer you look, the more your feet get in step with what you're looking at. There's a positive side to that. You fix your eyes on the king, your feet will follow what your eyes are fixed upon. But the negative is also true. If you're fixing your eyes on earthly things, if you're fixing your eyes on what they could do for you, then you are prone to allow and align your life to chase after those things. How else practically this looks is every time I click on the website, every time I consume pornography, I am saying that that person is no longer an image bearer, but they're consumable and an object. And that is not what God has called us to be. And y'all, there was this layer of conviction because I thought about all the times that I have clicked and consumed. I thought about all the times where I have looked to image bearers of the king and made them objects and not image bearers. All the times I have consumed them for my own sinful wants and my sinful nature. And I was really convicted. Because every time I'm quick, I am saying that that image bearer is just consumable and nothing more. As I was thinking about that, this illustration came to mind. So this is a nothing but cake, everybody. Hello. Oh, praise the lamb. If you have been with us for a while, there was this one time where I may have put ketchup on it. I'm not going to do that. No cake will be harmed in the preaching of this message today, all right? So I was thinking about this. Let's say today I went to nothing but cakes. And I said, oh, look at all your flavors. You got pumpkin spice. You got pecan praline. You got confetti. And I said, yes, I'll take them all. And I go there and I go, man, I'm going to this place of business. I'm going to get something that is meant for my consumption and for my pleasure. And I get the nothing but cake and I start eating it and I go, I'm only going to eat half today, Lord, only going to eat half. And then after I go, who ate all that cake? I'm okay. So I eat it. But what if I started clicking on Google and say, you know what? I've heard some rumors that maybe refined sugar is not the best thing for you to eat. Like, I've heard people say, I have some friends that go, Nick, refined sugar, you should stop eating it. And let's say tomorrow I decide that I am no longer going to consume refined sugar. Now, listen, the first day, Monday's a rough day, y'all, because I pass crumble cooking. I'm like, not today, devil, not today. I'll pass Julia's and go, not you either. I'll pass Andy's customers and be like, not today, devil, not today. I'll pass nothing but cakes and on and so forth because Murfreesboro, we know how to do food, amen? And it's hard because I want to consume those things, but I know it is not best for me. And then I get a weekend and I go, man, I am seeing some positive impacts. And let's say I come to you and I go, listen, y'all, I'm learning that 
eating refined sugar is not best for you. And some of you start believing me. Some of you go, you know what, Nick? We're going to join you on this refined sugar journey. We're going to say no to it. We're not going to do it. And then the word begins to spread. And then we get to a point where all of Murfreesboro is saying no to refined sugar. Miracles can happen, y'all. Fix your faces. Like, you think about that. Think about if there was this wave of people who just said, we're not going to do it. What would happen to the world around us? Well, I'll tell you this. Those places that offer all those refined sugary treats would be impacted because a group of people said, we are not going to consume what you have to offer. And maybe some of those places would eventually shut down because they're not getting the business. They're not getting the traffic that they used to get because people have said no to refined sugar. And you go, Nick, why would you take so much time of giving that illustration? As I was sitting and I was preparing, here's what the Lord, I feel like, said to me through his word. What if the people of God said, I object to making image bearers objects. What if the people of God said, we are no longer going to treat image bearers as objects? What if we said that we're not gonna click, we're not gonna let the look linger, we're not going to do it? Would the sex industry be impacted by the fact that the people of God said, I object to making people objects? I would dare say that there would be an impact felt. I would dare say that it could lead to us impacting sex trafficking, the sex industry, all the things. Why? Because the people of God just said, I object. I'm not going to do that because I recognize people have worth and people have value and that they're not consumable, but they are bearers of the image of the king. And so we as a people of God, because God has reminded us that we bear his image, we're going to treat others as such. What would that look like? Guys, I think we would send rippling effects into this world and we could be change agents. You could even say that we would be ambassadors of the king, which is what we have been called to be anyways. What would that look like for us? And we said, no, I object for making people objects. How would our marriages be impacted if we said, you know what? This person I have been given is an image bearer and I'm gonna treat them as such and I'm not going to look outside of this marriage covenant to find what I'm lacking on the inside of this marriage covenant. I object to making people objects. Jim Wilkins says this. The antidote to lust of the eyes is not self-inflicted blindness, but seeing as God sees. Though humans look at the outside, God looks at the inside. We must see ourselves rightly, but we must also see our neighbor and spouses rightly, unclouded by disordered desire. We must have the right lens in which we look at. We must gaze upon the right thing. Colossians 3 verse 1 says this. Since then, 
You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Fix your mind and your eyes on things above. And we said it earlier, because your feet tend to walk towards what your eyes are fixed upon. And I wrote these questions for myself that I'm going to share with y'all. Questions to help me navigate this journey, help me to walk correctly. Some questions to help me along the way. Number one is this. Am I honoring or consuming? I think about that with my wife. Am I honoring or am I consuming? Am I mad because she's not doing what I want her to do and I've made her an object? Am I honoring or consuming? When I look at people, am I honoring them as the people and the image bearers that they are, or am I trying to consume them? Am I honoring or consuming? Number two, am I setting boundaries that will help me get to the promised land? Am I putting boundaries around the things and the places where I have weakness so that I can get to the desired destination? And the desired destination is to be like my King Jesus, is to get to the promised land. Am I setting boundaries that will help me get to the promised land? One of the simple ways to do this is block the opportunity you have on your phone to look at things that will lead you to treating people as consumable. And for some of you, like, you can do that. Yes, you can. Have a friend go, hey, put in the code. I don't want in the moments of weakness for me to treat people as objects and not image bearers. Because here's the thing. One of the most dangerous things I have in my possession is my phone. Not just when it comes to lust of the eyes, but really when it comes to murder and contempt in my heart towards people. I am so quick and it is so easy to get to a place where I'm tearing you down or consuming you. And so we have to be wise. We have to put boundaries and put some safeguards in place. And here's the other thing. Think about this. I think about if I struggled with alcohol and that became an idol in my life and that had an impact in my life, I wouldn't go to bed with a fifth of gin by my bed if I struggled with alcohol. Doesn't that make sense? That doesn't make any sense. And so if you struggle with treating things as image bearers versus objects, maybe the best place to charge your phone is not right by your bed. Put it across the room. It'll still get charged in another outlet, Amen. There's nothing special about your bedtime outlet. Why would you do that? Because you are someone who says, I object to making people objects. And here's the thing. This is why we need each other. Community helps in this, guys, as we remind each other, hey, we're not going to look at people. We're not going to look outside. We're not going to treat our spouses as objects. We are going to treat them as image bearers. Number three. Is my life an intersection of heaven here on earth? Not just when I'm out and about where people can see me, but is my life an intersection of heaven here on earth, even when I'm by myself, even when no one knows what I'm doing? Is my life reflective of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords wherever I am? And here's something that I sometimes don't think about, but think about this. If you said yes and you surrender your life to Jesus, according to Scripture, it says the Holy Spirit is within you. Can we agree with that? A little head nod or something. Help a brother out. Okay, yes. 
So it says, when you have surrendered your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. Can we get a head nod? So think about this. Everywhere you go, because you have the very Spirit of God within you, is heaven intersecting earth. So as you're at work, or when you're by yourself, or wherever you are, it's an opportunity for heaven to intersect earth. Why? Because you are full of the Holy Spirit of God. So wherever you are is an intersection of heavenly things into earthly things. That is who you are. And I think for me, sometimes I forget who I am, and so I keep it open for the enemy to tell me who I am, and I'll go and do likewise. But when I know that I am a vessel of the Holy Spirit, that I've been called to be the ambassador of the king, it's amazing how my feet walk that out differently because I know who I am. And it's not about this. Sometimes for me, I give myself excuses. Well, God, you know I'm a man. This is just something that I do. And then I'm reminded in Scripture, no, it says you're part of a royal priesthood. It says you have been made new. It says you're an ambassador of the king. We need to know who we are so we can be who we are wherever we are. That is what we have been called to do. Let's not be a people that are easily satisfied by doing status quo and below. We have been called for greater things. That is who you are. You are someone that God has invited to reflect him and say, I object to making image bearers object. You are holy and set apart. Let us be a people that live that out wherever we are and whoever is around. First Peter verse 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you to be holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. One last quote. By the power of the Spirit, we apply ourselves daily to say not to ungodliness, godliness, putting to death, sexual immorality, and the lingering gaze that invites it. We gain access to this better kingdom by his blood, and we inhabit it by fixing our gaze on him. May we be a people that say, I object to making people an object. If you would, bow your heads. Jesus, for those in this place, for those online, for those watching in Buchanan, and we are asking you this question, so now what? What do I do with what I've heard? What do I do with this word? How do I walk down in light of what we have been exposed to? Maybe for some of us, we realize that we've never surrendered our lives to Jesus that we've never said we surrender to the king. And maybe the first and the best next step for them is to say yes to the king. If they could say something like this right here in this moment, dear Jesus, I say yes. I say yes to the perfect life you lived, the life that I could not live. I say yes to the fact that you paid my debt on a cross that I was unable to pay through your perfect life that you lived. 
I say yes to the fact that three days later you gave back a borrowed tomb, overcoming sin and death and showing that the only way I can do the same is through you. I say yes. I say yes to my seat at your table. I say yes to my robe of righteousness. And I say yes to the signet ring of the family saying I am forever yours. I say yes. Maybe for some of us in this place and in this space, we need to go, you know what? I have been losing this battle with lust for a long time, but today is the day where I am going to say yes to the invitation from the king. I've been trying to battle by myself and been falling on my face. And so today I'm going to put some parameters. I'm going to have people praying for me. I'm going to say yes to the next best step. Maybe you're in this place in your marriage, you have been treating your spouse as consumable instead of as an image bearer. Maybe today is the day where you go, hey, I repent, I turn from that. I recognize that my spouse is a gift. I recognize that I'm called to love them based on the way I've been loved by you, Jesus. And so today I'm gonna love them like that. Whatever your next step is, my encouragement to you is to take it. We are family here. Shame does not have a hold on you in this place because the king has set you free So since you are free, live as free indeed. Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer is that we will reflect you. My prayer is that we will fix our eyes on you and not on earthly things and that we will walk this relationship that we have with you, that we will walk it out in the streets. And so Jesus, thank you that you have chosen a people such as us to be your ambassadors and may we be a people that object to making people objects. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name, amen.